Today we have the honor of bringing on Alberto Ray. He's an artist who has an ongoing show dedicated to the Niagara River, a perfect topic for us to cover. Alberto is also an educator, well-known fly fisherman guide, and someone passionate about waterways and their well-being. We've divided this interview into two segments. This first one's gonna focus on his art show that's currently on display at the Castellani Art Museum at Niagara University. You can view that until February 25th. The second will feature additional discussions about art, how he's finding a way to tie in both that art with his love for fishing, biology, and protecting water for everyone. Alberto was born in Cuba in 1960 and would gain political asylum in the U.S. with his family a few years later, and then they would all move here to the U.S. in Miami by 1965. A few years later, they would move to Pennsylvania, and he would stay there throughout his college as he gained his Bachelor's of Fine Arts from Indiana University of Pennsylvania. He also has a Master of Fine Arts from the University of Buffalo. In 1989, he took a teaching position at SUNY Fredonia. Over the years, his work has been permanently added to various art gallery collections, and he's had solo ex exhibitions all over the place. And that's just a quick bio of a long history of work in the arts, but he's also become well-known for fly fishing. He's an Orvis-endorsed fly fishing guide. I mean, he was an international finalist for Guide of the Year in 2020 with Orvis, and he would win that international award in 2021. He's also the founder and director of Children in the Stream slash 4-H Youth Fly Fishing Program for 24 years. With all that information, we just thought it'd be a great opportunity to bring Alberto on the show and sit down and talk to him first about his art show and then uh, just more about love of nature, biology, and things about water pollution and protection and giving people access to water. Hello, Alberto. How are you today? Good, good. Good. Thank you for doing this. Uh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for coming out here. You have an art exhibition. It opened in April this year at the Castellani Art Museum uh, at Niagara University. It's continuing until February 2024. It's titled Biological Regionalism, Niagara River, Western New York. I guess to start for the person who hasn't seen it or been there yet, what, what could they expect if they were to go? Well, it's a pretty ambitious installation. It, the staff at the uh, the curators and registrar at, and uh, at the uh, Castellani Museum spent a couple months doing this mural of the map of Niagara River. We did actually, they did two murals. One is just showing the river and various points along the river. And then another one showing, another mural showing the river, how Niagara Falls, where it started and how it moved back over time to where it is now. And then also making a relationship between that and the indigenous species that live and lived along the river to show how that changed, how their population changed. Um, and to show that they're, you know, the Native Americans have been in this area for thousands of years. And, and some believe that they've never really left, that they just returned after the Ice Age. That's the, the walls. And then I did nine paintings, nine six-foot paintings that are, each painting is a story. It's a narrative about different parts, different parts of the river and, and the history of the, of the uh, Niagara River. So because Niagara, not only the falls, which is probably the most famous falls in the world, but also the river is an iconic river for the United States. And it has a very rich history. So I wanted to have each painting kind of discuss different aspects of that history. Uh, some of it is positive, some of it is negative, to kind of make people aware of 
uh, the river, not only uh, because of its beauty and power, but also it's just very rich with history. And there still needs to be a lot of attention drawn to it because it still has some challenges, some pollution that need to be kind of addressed. And um, I think organizations like the Waterkeepers are doing a lot towards that, but I think more people need to know what are the conditions for the river. Was this, uh, when you were conceptualizing this uh, exhibit, was it something you had in mind for a while? Were you thinking, I want to do the Niagara River, or was that something between you and the Castellani? Well, we, it's interesting because I did a lecture like seven years ago. At that point, somebody came up to me and, and asked if I would be interested in doing something about the Niagara River. And I said, I'd love to. Uh, we tried a few different things to kind of get the project going, but it always stalled. About a year and a half ago, I spoke with Mary Helen at the Castellani Museum and then Michael Beam and they were very excited about the project. And so I created all these new paintings specifically for this exhibition. Okay. And they had already had one of my paintings in their collection, one of the largest paintings I've had made. It's an eight by 16 foot painting that they have up now uh, in conjunction uh, with this exhibition to kind of show you know, I, I made that piece probably when I was 28, so yeah, over 30 years ago. So it's nice to see it in relationship to what's going on now because a lot is a lot of my work has changed over the 30 years, but this new work is has a lot of connections to that old painting. Did you feel like stylistically it was similar? Yes, back then I did a lot of narrative work, and then over the years I started to make the work more use more symbols and metaphors instead of layering images. And so the last, I'd say 20 years or so, I've mostly created work that used single images to represent a story uh, as, so that that single image is like a metaphor for the, a narrative instead of layering it. When I was doing the research for this project, it was so complex that I knew I couldn't just use a single image so I knew I had to go back to that stylistic approach to make it more inclusive of the information that I was discovering and to kind of connect it. And it was kind of exciting. It's, you know, the, the nice thing about doing this type of work, the narrative work, is in some ways it's kind of almost like how you do an abstract painting that you start with initial images that you want and that you have all this information in your head. And then when you start creating the painting, paint, you know, you put one thing down, then the painting, you realize that the painting needs something over here and then something over here. And then, you know, it just, it just, it's a dialogue that I have with the painting. And it's a, it's a nice way of just layering more and more information. And it's, it's, uh, it's very, very challenging, but it's also very exciting. Hmm. Could you talk about the research maybe about the history of what sure. uncovered or anything that maybe surprised you or you're kind of like, oh, that's. The complexity of it was that it has such a rich history. I was surprised at how many points, well, several things. Um, one was I was surprised at how many points along the river was used by slaves you know, moving across to Canada. I was surprised at the just long, long list of toxins that are still found in the river from leaking brownfields and 
pollutants that are still being uh, dumped into the river. I was surprised at the amount of sewage that continues to be dumped. I was also pleasantly surprised at how it remains this natural corridor for birds and um, other species that live in the Niagara Gorge. Some of these species are found nowhere else in the world. I was also pleasantly surprised that the uh, you know that the corridor itself is a it's a global corridor for seagulls that some species 20% of them are found you know at one time of the year in the gorge as they move through and you know anybody who goes to the river is always I know I'm always just pleasantly surprised at how beautiful and powerful that river is and it's kind of this kind of disconnection between this aesthetic beauty and everything else around it that is almost invincible hmm. that needs to be I think you know people need to be aware of it so yeah it's and and there's so much more I mean I for the amount of research I did I think the paintings really show maybe 10% 15% of the research it's just you know you could do one of these exhibitions every year because there's so many more stories that can be told mm-hmm but these are the ones that I found most compelling and I thought that other people might find it as well. And the other thing is also, you know, I the Tuscarora were very generous in their time in telling me stories about their history and how their tradition of spear fishing for sturgeon and everything else related to that. And I did a painting about that. And I just found that so fascinating and how, you know, government policies have changed a lot of their traditional practice and now they're trying to get it back and it's just fascinating it's fascinating how everything is connected how these stories are so interesting and yet i think very few people know know of it it seems like some of the aspect is for you from what i've seen through previous shows building that connection so showing people here's this issue here's this problem i'm curious if the complexity of researching all that history and Hearing about the Underground Railway and the pollution, the environmental aspect. How do you, I guess, how do you incorporate that into an art show? Yeah, that's that's the difficult part, but the exciting part. You know, it's kind of like it's a um, it's a puzzle, uh, and it's kind of a, for me, it's it's an exciting puzzle. It's an exciting aesthetic narrative problem puzzle, not only for each painting, but how the, the whole venue is going to look when a viewer comes in. So you kind of have this vision before you even start doing the painting of how this is all gonna look like when you walk in and then you try to do everything to make that vision a reality. My feeling is I do so I do enough research so that I feel confident about each of the paintings. So I feel like I'm, I can confidently tell the story and if there are points when I'm making the painting, there'll be times when I'm making a painting and I'll say, well, what about this? I'll stop the painting and I'll continue doing the research and then come back to it and finish it because I want to make sure that it's uh, it's not just a superficial investigation, but it's, it's um, clearly articulated in a way that it's still mysterious in its arrangement. So it's not just, you know, so that you can, you have to work a little bit um, and see the complexities of, because it's still an aesthetic piece. The idea is to use aesthetics 
as a link, as a way to link the viewer to the science of and the stories of the bodies of water. I hadn't thought of that with uh, with art in that way. Of my background's more in the writing, so I'm totally used to the editing process. But the idea, like, okay, here's a rough draft of a, of a story. We'll go through, edit it. Maybe it gets changed. Maybe we do extra research. It, it seems no different. I'm like, I guess that painting process or that artistic creation you're doing too. Right. You're going through, and you're like, oh, this is. I need more. Like, right. I need something. That's right. That's pretty cool. Yeah, and it's uh, intellectually. I find it fascinating doing the research. Uh, I think it's just as important for me as doing the paintings. Which painting did you start off with? Which, uh, do you remember the title? Uh, the first one was Artificiality of Niagara Falls. Uh, after doing my research, I realized that between the Canadian and American government, if they wanted to, they could shut off all the water to Niagara Falls. And the reason is, is that they have these weirs and, and, and canals that, and tunnels that can divert the water before Niagara Falls to the to these uh, power plants. So they control the water so that most of the year, 75% of the water is diverted. And then during tourist season, I think it's only 50% that goes over the falls. And then at night after 10 o'clock, it's diverted again. Then in the winter months, it's diverted. So, and I think they've done surveys over the over the decades where they found what is the, you know, the color that is most attractive for people to see going over the falls. So, over like in the '60s, they excavated parts of the river, Canadian side and American side, to make it seem like there's more water going over the falls and to keep that color that is aesthetically pleasing so that they can divert more water. So, yeah. Uh, I didn't realize about the color aspect, like they're looking yeah, that much into yeah. it. It's like a blue-green color and a thickness, a certain thickness that they need to have. When you see Niagara Falls, you think it's just this natural uh, wonder, but it's really artificially controlled and manipulated, and that was the first piece I wanted to do. And so I painted it as it's completely dry like no water going over it. Uh, what would that look like? What would that gorge underneath it look like? So I looked at a lot of old typographical maps to see what the density, what the, the depth of the water would be. And, and the American side was dry at one point in the 60s when they had to do this excavation. So you could see what the rock formations were like. And then using that, I continued making the painting for the Canadian side as well. The bioregionalism title of that. It's you have similar shows. It seemed like across the yeah. I've I've been doing um, over twenty years now. I've been doing work that investigates rivers around the world. Uh, so biological regionalism uh, more or less means that it started as uh, you know investigating the local area. So regionalism kind of kind of concentrating in the local area. And biological means just looking at the science of the rivers um, and the bodies of water. So I started in, the, in locally and then regionally and then nationally and then globally. So that what I found was a lot of the issues that you we all have locally is universal. It's a universal issue that is found around the world 
And so a lot of the issues that cities that are located along the rivers have used the rivers as a way to dispose of toxins and sewage. And so it's not unusual to have these rivers become polluted over time. I was curious if that was a, a common, th if there was some common elements between those shows you've developed. Yes. So pollution's one of them, probably. Pollution, and I think the other thing is that um, all these rivers at one time were important to the community, either economically and or culturally. So like in Nepal, I did a s series and a book about the Bagmati River. And the Bagmati River runs through the middle of Kathmandu, and it's the holiest river in Nepal, but it's also the most polluted river in Nepal because it's in the center of this major city, uh, and which has very little water treatment plants. It was interesting when I was doing the research to find how something that was so important became so polluted. And doing the research, I found that there's a lot of factors for it. Uh, some of it was government policies, some of it was uncontrolled urban migration, and some of it was just changing uh, the culture about the uh, river changed a great deal where people were no longer generations that knew the river as something that was important. They started to die off. And so the people who live there now never knew it as this religious cultural icon that it is it was. And so they, they lived with it as a polluted river. And so they knew it. They only knew it as a polluted river, so they were less likely to change it uh, because they didn't remember how it was before. So there's it's a lot of complicated issues. And also in, in Nepal, there is um, a history of corruption, government corruption, which added to the issue of the river becoming, continuing to be polluted. And we're going to pause our conversation here with Alberto. Here at this point, you can check out part two of our interview with him in our podcast feed. And don't forget, the art show continues at the Castellani Art Museum until February 25th. And thank you all for listening. Before you go, I just want to remind everyone, contributions from individuals are what make this work possible, what Waterkeeper is able to do on a day-to-day -day basis. For every dollar raised, Waterkeeper leverages it tenfold through securing grants and other funding to help deliver over 60 projects and programs each year. Donor dollars support our efforts to research and monitor our waterways, design projects, advocate for good policies, and even construct habitat and access improvements. These efforts in turn create a significant economic and environmental benefit for our community. In some cases, like our Buffalo River restoration, it has been shown to create a 40 to 1 return. So whether you can give $5 or $5,000 or more, please know your dollars stay local, will be multiplied, and will help make change in our waters and community. Many thanks again to Buffalo-based band Snowbell for their intro and outro music. In this episode, you can find their music and latest album, Norse Avenue, on all streaming services. Check them out. And thank you again for listening. Be well and do good.